Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular Continuing Medical Education Podcast. Join us each week to discuss the most pressing topics in cardiology and gain valuable insights that can be directly applied to your practice. Hello, my name is Paul Friedman. I'm chair of the Department of Cardiovascular Medicine in Rochester, Minnesota at the Mayo Clinic. And I'm delighted to have with me today my colleague, Adrian Da Silva, who is a senior associate consultant and expert in heart failure with a special interest on the implications of obesity and heart failure. Adrian, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a pleasure for me to be here talking with you about this topic that I'm certainly very passionate about. Well, it's an interesting one. So the first question is, does obesity increase the risk of heart failure? Well, yes. The short answer is yes and significantly, which uh, is very unfortunate, especially if we take into account the high prevalence of obesity that we have in the adult population in the U.S., which over the past five years has exceeded 40% of our adult population. So you can imagine that there is already a huge overlap here. The obesity is not just a risk factor for heart failure alone. It's a risk factor also for many other cardiovascular diseases, as you see in your clinical practice, and which are per se additional uh, risk factors for heart failure. Uh, many uh, studies have addressed this question. And Framingham Heart Study even found that by, for, by each one point increase in BMI, there is actually an increase of 5% in the risk for men to suffer heart failure and 7% in women. And the worst thing is that this was observed throughout the whole spectrum of BMI. As you can imagine, then this means that the, these increases are more dramatic amongst those patients with heart failure with preserved rejection fraction, which is, has slowly become the most prevalent type in the, uh, in the US. Now, just for people to review, normal BMI numbers, low BMI, overweight, obese, what do you re remind everyone of those ranges? Well, there is some granularity about that, which unfortunately we don't usually pay attention to, and we should. For Europeans, meaning Caucasians, the normal BMI is between uh, 18.5 and less than 25. From 25 to less than 30 is overweight. And 30 and above is obesity. For Asians and uh, Pacific Islanders descendants, it's much lower. The normal BMI for them is less than 23. And between 23 and 25, it's already overweight. And from 25 onwards, it's obesity. The big problem here is that the, most of the studies do not account for that. Even when we look at the statistics of the CDC, they just define obesity by the European standards, which does not recognize the high metabolic and cardiovascular risks that these patients of Asian and Pacific ancestry may have. Now, just one more question about uh, obesity and the risk, and that is, you really very clearly outlined the markedly elevated risks of both 
heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, and particularly HEF-PEF in the context of obesity. But as you pointed out, obesity is associated with diabetes, hypertension, sleep apnea, multiple other risk factors. Is the obesity a risk factor independent of those, or is it simply helping generate those conditions which in turn lead to heart failure? Or is it no? Overall, we already know that obesity certainly increases some risk, uh, the risk of some cardiovascular factors that predispose to heart failure and many other conditions. Additionally, obesity per se is a pro-inflammatory uh, disease, which has additional implications in of itself, which confers cardiovascular risk. So it's most likely multifactorial what we're dealing with here. Now, do patients with obesity and heart failure have worse outcomes than patients without obesity and heart failure? Well, this has been a very important question that, that we have been addressing since the early 2000s. So there was this landmark study conducted by Dr. Horwich uh, out of UCLA, and they analyzed the survival of patients with heart failure and different BMI groups, normal weight, overweight, uh, and obesity. When they just analyzed the actual survive, survival rates, they didn't, notice, they didn't notice significant difference. Nevertheless, when they accounted for important predictive factors, such as sex, age, hypertension, diabetes, ejection fraction, peak VO2, they noticed that the, uh, the BMI category per se was an important factor associated with survival during follow-up after heart failure diagnosis. Meaning, and this was the, the most surprising thing at that point, they noticed that those patients with overweight and obesity, especially the lower uh, class of obesity, had better survivals over time than those that had normal weight and those that were underweight. Overall, those patients with, who are uh, of the low, on the lowest weights, meaning less than 18.5, or those who are cachectic, tend to have the worst outcomes across the studies. Now, this, as you can imagine, this led to some controversy and some people started wondering, well, should we try to address obesity in these patients if they seem to be surviving longer uh, according to their uh, overweight or obesity status? And well, the issue was that in those initial studies, it was difficult to assess in the, um, whether the patients had lower weights because they were cachectic due to the severity of their disease or if they were actually intentionally losing weight. Is it an answered question or do you say it's still not known? That is, do we want to um, help patients with obesity and heart failure lose weight? And if so, how do we treat them? Certainly. We, are, at this point, will already know that obesity, although it tends to be associated with be better survival after the diagnosis of heart failure, we know that obesity is a huge risk factor for heart failure and other cardiovascular conditions. So 
these patients actually benefit from intentional weight loss. And this is something that we see in our clinical practice every day, patients with heart failure or other cardiovascular conditions receiving uh, weight loss interventions, whether dietary or more, more remarkably bariatric surgery. And then they experience significant improvement, uh, not just in their quality of life, but even some large observational studies, some registry studies, have found that amongst patients with heart failure and obesity, bariatric surgery is associated with a decrease of 50 to about 75% decrease in mortality at four, four and a half, five-year follow-up. That's stunning. In general, do we treat patients with obesity and heart failure the same way as uh, we would treat obese patients without heart failure, or is the obesity therapy modified? This is uh, very important to keep in mind. We already know that these patients benefit from these interventions, but we also know that due to the nature of their heart failure, they are at higher risk for procedures and surgeries. Unfortunately, there is not um, not uh, an easy fix, but these patients benefit from losing weight and from doing so in a very specialized center with uh, experienced surgeons and experienced multidisciplinary team with close collaboration with their heart failure cardiologists. Many studies have already found out that not just their survival is improved, but other uh, comorbidities are also improved after significant weight loss. Mortality and other complications may be higher than other patients with non, without heart failure after uh, surgeries like bariatric surgery. But overall, we notice that, that in the long term, their survival is better. And also, they tend to experience objective improvement in their myocardial uh, parameters. We know from studies of Dr. Barry Borlock from here, Mayor Rochester and other uh, investigators as well, that there is significant improvement, significant reverse remodeling in many parameters of the myocardium after significant weight loss, especially after bariatric surgery. In some cases, these patients even benefit, even experience, in significant improvement of the uh, left ventricular ejection fraction after surgery. Now, some patients have even achieved remission of their heart failure, granted that a minority. But we uh, tend to see in our practice that these patients, as they lose weight, they require less diuretics. They feel better. Their fitness improves. And some of them actually end up needing less cardiovascular medications. That's remarkable. And certainly the literature for bariatric surgery has been clear. There's less atrial fibrillation, less sleep apnea, less hypertension, less diabetes. And now, as you just explained, less heart failure. What about pharmacologic therapy for obesity? Any comments? Uh, clearly, terzepatide and other medications are having a huge impact. Is there a role for these in heart failure patients? Well, that's... Certainly a very exciting uh, point. We have been using those in patients with heart failure. There was a signal in one study with uh, a different medication 
towards uh, potential uh, worse outcomes several years ago. But in in current practice, we have uh, we know that these patients actually benefit from receiving these uh, high uh, highly effective anti-obesity medications. There are going to be some there are some there are going to be some trials that are going to educate us more on that these patients definitely benefit from them now this is an observational statement and uh, this is something that also some of my colleagues have uh, noticed and think something else that we need to keep in mind whenever we talk about weight loss management in patients with heart failure is not just on the usual heart failure uh, weight loss strategies but also we need to be mindful of what we do to treat the heart failure per se we know that there are medications that can induce some weight gain such as metoprolol whereas other ones may be more weight neutral such as carvedilol which may be a better alternative in these patients who may actually uh, have higher blood pressure compared to their counterparts and even uh, other medications that we use uh, routinely, such as the SGLT2 inhibitors, may help lose some weight. Now, not a, not a remarkable amount. We're talking about a couple of pounds. But little things can make a difference over the long term. And I think that uh, some of us have noticed how our patients uh, may start gaining extra weight after we maximize them on their metoprol. I'm not saying not to treat them with GDMT. Of course, we need to treat them, but we need to be mindful about these things. Last question for you. Can patients with obesity and end-state heart failure receive heart transplants? Well, that's a very, that's a question close to my heart because that's something uh, we deal with very closely in our ELVAD and transplant clinic every day. Yes, patients with obesity can receive heart transplants and still benefit from them. Now, let's keep in mind, obesity is, by definition for Europe, it's a BMI of 30 or higher. The ISHLT recommends to consider a BMI of 35 as a relative contraindication for heart transplantation because it has been associated with worse outcomes after transplant. And unfortunately, we see this. This does not mean that we should neglect these patients, by no means. But these patients need special care and they need our help. We cannot just refer them to a weight loss program and, it, and wait for them to be treated six months later. These patients need intensive, highly coordinated, high level of care so that they can be candidates for heart transplantation. And it's very challenging. And that's something that we have, that we are focusing in our program. And that we think is going to make a big difference uh, for these patients. Dr. De Silva, fascinating topic. Thank you so much for joining me in this conversation today. And I, I, I just know there are gonna be an ongoing number of new developments and new insights as to how we care for heart failure patients with obesity, given the prevalence of both of these. So thank you. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure for me to be here. I'm very excited to chat with you about this topic and 
I hope that we continue helping our patients overcome these two major pandemics. Thank you for joining us today. Feel free to share your thoughts and suggestions about the podcast by emailing cvselfstudy at mayo.edu. Be sure to subscribe to the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular CME podcast on your favorite platform and tune in each week to explore today's most pressing cardiology topics with your colleagues at Mayo Clinic. This has been a Mayo Clinic podcast.